Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You. Yes, you. Yes, you. Do you want to know the secret behind Star Trek's longevity? It's not the actual stories themselves, it's the stories that could have been. With Star Trek, a writer doesn't have to struggle to come up with a new story because of the wealth of possibilities that every iteration of Gene Roddenberry's creation has offered. Star Trek survives because of its fluidity and varieties, infinite diversity in infinite combinations, if you fancy a bit of Vulcan logic. Dropped plot lines abound endlessly, just waiting for someone to pick them up and spin them into some great tale that revisits favourite characters or exciting themes that fans really want to see again. Unfortunately, however, that doesn't appear to be the case with this list. Boo. I'm Michael from Trek Culture, and these are eight dropped Star Trek plot threads we'll never get the answer to. Number eight, an entire premise scrapped, Assignment Earth. It's well known that this episode was actually the pilot to a prospective series that never materialised. It was about an agent working on behalf of benevolent agents who were interested in steering mankind's development in the right direction, i.e. away from nuclear self-destruction. A typical 1960s Cold War mentality theme, but it held a lot of promise, and there was definitely a lot of mystique about these unknown benefactors of humanity, not to mention Gary Seven and his lovely assistant, Roberta Lincoln. The Enterprise is sent backwards in time to research the period of Earth's Cold War. An orbital launch platform armed with nuclear missiles was supposed to malfunction, and the Enterprise's mission is to uncover the reason why this never happened. As they approach 20th century Earth, they intercept a transporter beam that deposits a middle-aged human and a cat on their transporter pad. He identifies himself as Agent Gary Seven and the cat as his companion, Isis. Though Seven was born on Earth, he was raised by these aliens on a distant planet in the future. He was supposed to be their liaison in order to protect Earth from its own mistakes and to provide them with a better understanding of humanity. This wasn't just a drop plotline, this was an entire premise and ultimately a series that had a tremendous amount of backstory to it. It had potential time travel stories and alien invasions, along with endless possibilities of Cold War spy tales. This was a gem of a series that sadly never saw the light of day. Number 7. Whatever happened to the children in Miri? Anything with kids is a story that has the capacity for follow-up. Children grow up and change into something completely different. In this episode, the crew of the Enterprise discover a very Earth-like planet populated by children in post-apocalyptic 20th century ruins. 
Moreover, the children live for an extended period of time. When they eventually reach their biological latter teens, they start to change into something more deadly. Miri herself is supposed to be about 300 to 400 years old, but to Kirk, she is still a shy teenage girl who has just grown old enough to fall prey to that legendary Kirk charm. Kirk's crew realize that the virus that hits the kids when they turn into adults is starting to affect them as well. They develop lesions and sores associated with the virus, which frightens the children. Still, they manage to find a cure with Dr. McCoy's talented medical abilities, and they're able to stop the virus from affecting the children, allowing them to develop and grow up as their unnaturally extended lives will allow them. But this is a dropped plotline goldmine. Imagine a planet populated with children who can potentially live for a thousand years. They could be the equivalent of deep space explorers who never have to worry about the negative side effects of relativity. As they have no family, they have the added bonus of not leaving anyone behind. On top of all this, can you imagine the possibilities of a kid who has the benefits of virtually eternal youth, coupled with years of experience? The idea that another planet developed similarly to Earth could have also been explored, along with the obvious biological research of life prolongation. These are only a few of the possibilities that could have been put to pen, but at the very least, curiosity could have been abated by a return visit to Miri's planet. This could all start with a crack federation team of social workers and truant officers, maybe. Number six, Baylock's future, the Corbomite maneuver. Oh, come on. Why has no one even thought about looking up and using the first federation as an ally or potential Starfleet antagonist? The Enterprise is confronted by a strange device that emits deadly radiation as soon as it gets closer to the ship. Kirk orders it destroyed to protect the crew, and later on, a massive starship known as the Fisarius, representing the First Federation, appears. Its captain, Baylock, demands to know why the Earth ship destroyed the boundary marker buoy it encountered. It immobilizes the Enterprise in a powerful tractor beam, and Baylock decides that for its intrusion, the Enterprise must be destroyed. Unable to withstand the clearly superior technology of the Viserys, Kirk decides on a last-ditch gamble. He bluffs that the Enterprise carries a powerful explosive known as the Corbomite device and announces that it will be detonated as a final defense against a superior enemy. Kirk gambles that his bluff will make Baylock reconsider his decision, and it works! But it also has the advantage of allowing Kirk to break the Enterprise free of Baylock's control, allowing them the chance to meet in person. We discover that Baylock is no more than a pudgy little childlike alien who presents about as much danger as a budgie. After pleasantries are exchanged, Kirk and his away party are treated to a tour of the Viserys, and an officer remains on board with Baylock to serve as an exchange officer. When they leave Lieutenant Bailey as cultural liaison, representing not the best or the worst of humanity, but as they really are, then the stage is set for at least some sort of wacky adventures. It could have been a lot of fun. Sort of like a science fiction version of BJ and the Bear, maybe? Number five, The Kelvins by any other name. 
Aliens from the Andromeda galaxy known as the Kelvins capture the Enterprise and refit it with advanced technology for a 300 year long trip back to the galaxy of their origin. The reason? After assuming human form to exist within our galaxy and to understand it better for conquest, the Kelvins need a human craft that will sustain their lives and the lives of their descendants as they continue to complete their mission. With his crew incapacitated, Kirk manages to use the Kelvins' new humanity against them by irritating them or using human emotions they are unfamiliar with. His point is to show the Kelvins that they are no longer Kelvin, but as human as the crew of the Enterprise. Kirk manages to convince them to settle on the planet they were discovered on. They agree to this and all ends well. But given the Kelvin's superior technology and celestial navigation, don't you think this is an episode worthy of following up on? This is a plotline that demands revisiting, even if it's just to help them build shelters and other amenities of life necessary for colonization. After all, as in Space Seed, we don't see Kirk leaving the settlers with anything. In fact, this would have been a great TNG episode, with Captain Picard following up on one of the classified mission logs of the original Enterprise. Heck, they could have even been included in a cameo appearance as weapons specialists or some sort of advisory role. This is a plotline that needed further exploitation and could have certainly won nostalgia points with diehard Trekkies. What a waste. Number 4. Whatever happened to Dr. Taylor after she was taken to the 23rd century? A somewhat silly premise of rescuing humpback whales from the 20th century because they're the only species that could communicate with an alien. Of course we're willing to forgive all this because Spock's alive and they're travelling back in time using a captured bird of prey. Oh, and don't forget the jokes. Lots of great, great jokes. But whatever happened to the 20th century marine biologist they brought back to live in the 23rd century? This has always been particularly annoying. After all, there are so many ramifications to consider. The violation of causality, the prospect that Dr. Gillian Taylor now has to contend with accommodating herself to a totally new environment 300 years beyond her understanding. And not to mention that she also winds up with a position on board a science vessel primarily devoted to the study of humpback whales. Is everybody okay with this? Oh, and the fact that this is completely glossed over because, yes, that's right, NTC 1701A shows up in the next scene. If nothing, then there needs to be some sort of follow-up to Dr. Taylor's situation. It just seems like poor old Gillian was abandoned and left a fend for herself. That has to be worth a story or two in itself, surely out of pure human drama. Number three, why didn't we see more of the Gorn? What's not to be entertained by a giant reptilian with warp technology. In the 80s, there was a strategy game put out by a company called FASA called Starfleet Battles. The backstory of the game is pure Star Trek and suggests that the Gorn are compared very closely with the Federation in spirit, if not in physicality. The Gorn Hegemony and the United Federation of Planets are close allies in this game after resolving the issues at Cestus Free. It wasn't until 2005 when Star Trek Enterprise featured a Gorn in the Mirror Universe episode in a Mirror Darkly, who gets killed by Captain Archer. Oh, appreciate now we've got Star Trek Lower Decks and we have had an entire Gorn wedding. So we've gone from having uh, hardly any Gorn in the show's 54 year history to now having 
loads of Gorn in one sequence. Appreciate that they were biting chunks out of Rutherford, but more Gorn is better than no Gorn, right? But this is a race that had so much potential plot fodder in terms of possible allies for the Federation, as suggested by that strategy game. Their technology was equivalent, and their hand-to-hand -hand combat abilities offered possibilities of great fight sequences. I mean, can you imagine the officer exchange programs the inclusion of this race could have offered? For 37 years, this race has languished in insignificance, forced to sit on the sidelines when it could have been used in a time where the special effects could have created an awesome monster ally for the Federation. Again, what a waste. Number 2. Whatever happened to the Romulan Commander? An episode written by DC Fontana and loosely inspired by the circumstances surrounding an American naval vessel captured by North Korea in 1968, when the Enterprise enters the Romulan neutral zone, it is immediately surrounded by three Romulan battlecruisers. Their objective is to capture the Starfleet vessel and take it back to Romulus as a major propaganda victory. And Kirk and Spock are under secret orders to steal a Romulan cloaking device. Kirk, surgically altered by McCoy to look like a Romulan, sneaks aboard the Romulan flagship while Spock distracts the female commander with his Vulcan charms. The device is installed aboard the Enterprise, the Romulan commander is taken prisoner, and the Federation now has a cloaking device to study. Yay! But whatever happened to the Romulan commander? As a political prisoner, there would have been obvious ramifications as to her career and even her status as a citizen of the Empire. But here's a thought, how about we learn her name? It should be a crime to leave such a strong and compelling character to obscurity. She was a character whose fate we needed to know more of. And number one, The Guardian from the City on the Edge of Forever. The crew of the Enterprise discovers an abandoned alien outpost that has the ability to project people backwards in time. This sentient artificial lifeform can also extend its capabilities to any point in the galaxy. It is known as the Guardian of Forever. It is one of the most compelling and remembered episodes in the original series and one that shows the nature of Kirk and Spock's friendship. But what about The Guardian? I know there have been some non-canonical works about it which highlights my point about fans' value on returning to favourite plotlines, but out of the succeeding television series, not one writer has fought to include The Guardian in any of its stories. It's a powerful story device. Imagine a separate corporation of Starfleet officers responsible for the time continuum. Remember the Temporal Cold War from Star Trek Enterprise? Wouldn't the Guardian of Forever be a perfect base of operations for a Starfleet-sanctioned organization to defend the continuum? This was a completely wasted plot asset that could have been taken advantage of in all sorts of ways. Revisiting abandoned plotlines are incredibly successful stories and there is no reason to expect that any of these would not sell. For example, look at the success of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, arguably one of the greatest Star Trek revisits ever. Star Trek survives because fans are always hungry for a new story, but continuing stories are also great because they're already there. Like some sort of buried treasure, they're just waiting for the right prospector to come along and unearth them for the world to see in another light. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.